I'm hoping that you will return to uh, this series throughout the year because um, I wanted to start the year off with this series because I believe that the points that we are covering we'll need to return to over and over again. This series is called Your Life Depends on It, and today we're going to talk about prayer. Pray as if your life depends on it, because it does. I want to start with this thought. The one who made everything out of nothing, the never-grow-old God, the never-become-weak God, never-changing, all-knowing, all-powerful, always-merciful, always-father, almighty God invites you and me to pour out our heart to Him, to cry to Him, to laugh, to sing to Him, to talk to Him, to be with Him, near Him, and receive what He so willingly wants to give to everyone. So, why is it so hard to pray sometimes, right? Why is it such a struggle often? Why is it so tough when you think of it logically to come to Almighty God consistently in prayer? Well, there are a lot of reasons. I can't cover them all today. Sometimes it's just because we're human, out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes it's because we get busy or too busy, too cluttered. And if you study the Bible, you also know that we have an enemy who plots to keep us away from prayer, from the presence of God, through accusations from Him and from ourselves or from others, from distractions, on and on. But I want to add something that I think. I think it, it's because as believers, we can pick up within the Christian culture, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, Nazarene, Baptist, Pentecostal, Reformist, Calvinist, Arminian, whatever. There is a culture of oughts and shoulds. There are models and mandates about how to pray when to pray, that make prayer life more discouraging than encouraging, more debilitating and binding than empowering and freeing. So this series to start out 2021, we've, we've said there are things that we have to continue to keep before us because our life depends on these things. One, listening to God, taking a stand for God, and there are ways we stand sometimes that we don't stand other times. Go back, that's last week. Today, it's about praying. I just like to know how many books have been written on prayer. I have a ton of them down in my office. And uh, I've been in the church world for much of my life, but became a real believer in 1979. I was 17 and a half on my way to 18. And I picked up some good stuff about prayer, but also a lot of baggage. And I have found myself at times, and this is another one of those times, maybe you're like me, you need to reprogram or have a prayer reset. 
Because I've picked up so much stuff that I've allowed my mind at times to get confused and my soul to be uh, discouraged or, or blocked from just uh, what prayer is according to Jesus. Deprogramming is sometimes as important as anything else when it comes to prayer because prayer, like one old saint of God said, is really the lifeblood of our soul. I've read books about prayer from people that are living now, people that lived 200 years ago. I've heard stories about great intercessory prayer warriors, these terminologies. And some of that stuff's really good, but then I just read what Jesus, remember him? I read what Jesus said about prayer, and he makes it so simple. It's almost not spiritual if you compare it to Christian culture, prayer. It's so simple, it's profound. And it's so simple, it's freeing. My Luke series is going to cover prayer in more detail, but for this series, I'd just like to key in on some encouraging thoughts that might spur, spark in you and me a deeper desire and hunger than is greater than what exists right now. <clears throat> Imagine the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of your heart to the truths about prayer that would make it a brand new desire. That your mind regarding prayer would actually be like you've returned to the Garden of Eden pre-fall, pre-who told you that you weren't a good prayer time with God. Would you pray with me that he'll do that today, right now? Lord, I ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you'd grant us the power by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that we could all come closer to the house of prayer, that we'd find in the temple of our own soul a new vibrancy, a new heartbeat, an expansive communion with you. We believe today that you can do this and you want to do this for each one of us because you've made us, Father, through the finished work of your Son and the powerful help of the Holy Spirit who is in us as we believe. We come to receive what we believe through the grace of God in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the first building block that I think might encourage you, it's encouraging me, about really getting back into prayer. One, remember the blessing of relationship. The blessing of relationship. God sent his son to remove every barrier that keeps our consciences and our hearts at a distance from him. He did that because he longs for us to experience the blessing of relationship. Here's what the Bible says. For through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. It doesn't say to God. The Father is God. But don't you love the picture? Through the Spirit, through Jesus the Son, we have access to the Father. Do you know that there is somebody near you who has a great prayer life? It's Jesus. 
Jesus is at the Father's right hand, but he said he'd never leave us or forsake us. And he is at the Father's right hand praying the greatest prayers continually for you and for me. Do you know not only do you have, you have someone near you who has a great prayer life, but you have someone in you who has a great prayer life, and it's the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is already on the inside of you, and he's praying for you and for me even when we're not praying. Isn't that awesome? There is a Trinitarian bond of passion toward you and me. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a Trinity. There is a Trinitarian bond of passion toward all human beings. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit desires our presence in his presence. There are so many passages that show us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always working together to create the house of prayer in every one of us. I said in every one of us. We don't go to the house of prayer. We are the house of prayer. And he longs for each one of us to have a fulfillment that comes through the relationship with him in prayer. Building block number two. Remember the attitude of God toward each of us in Christ. How does God think of his kids? How does God think from the least to the greatest Christian? Here's how he thinks. Remember his heart, Isaiah 56. Here's what he says. God, I will bring them to my holy... Who's going to bring us? God. I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Look at the passion in that. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Hey, God's heart is this. The New Testament tells us over and over again that he has an attitude toward us through Jesus Christ where he passionately longs to listen, to hear, and make us joyful in the house of prayer. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, remember the story in Luke where Jesus gets mad in the temple? Remember that story? Why did he get mad? He said, you have turned my father's house into a marketplace. But if you really want to know why he's mad, it wasn't just that it was a marketplace. Because actually, selling doves and pigeons was not unbiblical. It was biblical. It wasn't that they were having a market in order to sell the sacrifices to offer to God. It was where they put the market. They put the market in the court of the non-Jews. And Jesus saw that they were pushing the non-Jews out of the house so that the non-Jews couldn't pray to the God of Israel. And that is what made Jesus mad. It was in the court of the Gentiles, meaning that the Jewish people had made a place where the non-Jews were supposed to be able to pray, and they turned it into a marketplace so that the God-fearers wouldn't have a place to pray. I'm so glad now 
that we all have a place to pray because the real house of God is our soul, right? And this is why Jesus got hot. Because his father wants everyone to be able to communicate with him heart to heart. And he doesn't want, listen, he doesn't want his people to block people who don't understand God from having access to God. God says he wants everyone to be made joyful in the house of prayer. Listen to the passion of Jesus as he talks about prayer as an invitation in Luke. Jesus said, Jesus said, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, this is my, most, this is my favorite part of this sermon. I really hope you get this. A lot of people misunderstand this passage, and a lot of people misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit, and how does this tie in? When we become believers in Jesus Christ seriously, we really receive Christ, He gives us the person of the Holy Spirit, the person. So when you have the Holy Spirit in you, and Jesus says, keep asking the Father, He says He will keep giving the Holy Spirit. Now, He doesn't give the Holy Spirit to us as a person each time we pray, like meaning, like the Holy Spirit comes in, then He goes out, then He comes in, then He goes out. It's not like when we pray, the Holy Spirit comes to visit, and then He leaves, and then we go, oh, He's not here, then we pray for Him to come back. That's not the way it is. The person of the Holy Spirit comes to live in us at the moment we truly believe the gospel. And he doesn't come in parts. He doesn't get split up. He comes as a person. The whole person of the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and never leave. So, what does Jesus mean then when he says that when we pray, God the Father will give continually the Holy Spirit to us each time we ask, each time we seek, each time we knock. It means He gives us continual graces of the Holy Spirit. He graces our souls with the gifts within the eternal, endless person of the Holy Spirit who is living in us. And the Holy Spirit who is living in you, even if you consider yourself to be the least in the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit is in you. And He has endless dimensions of grace that are always available, but God the Father wants us to continue to ask seek and knock, to continue to access these abundant, overwhelming, endless graces of the Holy Spirit who is living in us. 
Here are, the, here are a few, and there are many, but for time I can't go into all, but here are a few of the exhaustive treasures of grace that the Father gives to us already who are believers, who already have the Holy Spirit in us, as we ask, seek, and knock, the vast Holy Spirit within us is like an ocean of grace. And the Father releases these things and more, and more, but I want to hit these things as we ask, seek, and knock. Here, the Holy Spirit's gifts of one, real love, real love. When we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, He releases real love. Romans 5 says it, that the love of God is shed abroad. That means from one end to the other spectrum of your soul. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says that the fruit, the the evidential growth of the Holy Spirit is love. Ask, seek, and knock. How much more? Real love. Another is refuge. In Psalm 32, David describes God comforting us. Sometimes we need comforting as a refuge. Sometimes we need courage as a refuge. Sometimes we need strength as a refuge. Sometimes we need a protective hedge around our mind, our will, and our emotions. Sometimes we need to bring back grace. As David said, when you fall and you stumble and you come back, the Bible says, David says that God will surround you with songs of deliverance. How does that happen? The person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, when we come back to God, when we need his comfort, we need his strength, the Father, how much more will he provide a refuge on the inside of us? That's why we pray. Another one is revelation. Revelation. Ephesians 1 says, Paul said that I pray this on and on. It's not I pray it one time. I pray it on and on that God would continue to give the Spirit, there it is like Luke said, like Jesus said, it's not the Spirit comes and leaves and he comes back, the Spirit, but God continues to give you and I the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. It doesn't say, Paul said, I'm praying for God to get this Bible finished. So once you have this Bible, you've got all the revelation you need. You do, but you don't. Stay with me. Heretic hunters, listen real close. Real close. When we ask, seek, and knock, we get greater revelation of the king's ways in the Word, not outside of the Word, of the King's work in us, on us, and through us, and His Word. It's not a new revelation. It's not the Bible plus. It is a light on the revelation of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit person who wrote it is living in you even if you're not great at memorizing Scripture. 
He is in you, and when we pray to the Father, God, as Paul said, he prays that people have a continual revelation of the revelation. Man, for anyone, prayer is a place where we get our souls fed and our hearts lit up. Another one is reinforcement. We're talking about the grace gifts of the Spirit who lives in us already if you're a believer. He doesn't come and go. I'll never leave you, he said. Jesus said he'll be with you forever. Forever. Never be an orphan. Reinforcement's another. Reinforcement. Colossians says it like this. Paul says that he prayed this, that God by his Spirit would strengthen you with all power by his glorious power through the working of the Holy Spirit. That's why we ask, seek, and knock. Sometimes we need that reinforced strength. That's why Jesus kept saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Here's another good one, recovery. Joel 2, which Peter preached from on the day of Pentecost, and which Jesus stepped into the synagogue and said the Spirit of the Lord was on him to bring you to a place of recovery. If you have a broken heart, he wants to heal it. If you're bound, he wants to free you, all that. Joel 2, in that passage, good gracious God is gracious. Come on now. Hey, if you're watching from out there wherever, just say amen. Type it in right now, amen. Put a fire emoji if you have an iPhone. Put it in there, 50 of them, just because good gracious, God is gracious, right? Here's what God says, and he uses the Holy Spirit to do this. He says, I will restore to you the years the locust and canker worm have eaten. The Holy Spirit passionately wants to help us. Guess what Jesus called him? The helper. The helper. Why not allow the Lord to grace us today on the inside with a fresh dose of encouragement when we let Jesus simplify the culture of Christianity regarding talking to our Father? The Father longs to give us the Holy Spirit. That's encouraging. I want to share with you one more point about why prayer is something that's so important. Our life depends on it. I want to, I want to, I want to focus on a sobering point. The, the great uh, video that uh, my son put together that's been the uh, uh, ongoing replay setting up each message is a quote from Paul in the, first, in the letter to the Thessalonians. He talks about being a sober spirit. There has to be a sobriety to our faith. As Paul said, as Peter said, Peter said, be sober so you can pray. Jesus said that sobriety is so important. Peter said, be sober so you can pray. Jesus said, pray so you can stay sober. Let me explain what that means. Paul, Peter, and Jesus meant don't be intoxicated or under the influence of the maddening wine of the spirit of the world. Don't be drunk on the spirit of the age. And friend, you can be under the influence of the world and never have tasted a sip of anything except Kool-Aid. Yeah. 
Well, I haven't ever had alcohol touch my lips. But the maddening wine of the world? If we are under the influence of any spirit except the Holy Spirit, we need to sober up. I'll tell you why. Because the evil sway of this world is powerful and it's deceptive. Remember last week's message? There are times to stand up, stand down, speak up, not speak up, all kinds of standing, standing for others. Paul said those who get drunk get drunk at night. But we're to be children of the day. He said, don't get drunk on wine. It will, not could, it will lead you to destruction. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking and singing to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Remember what I said last week at the end? You don't? I'll remind you, Jesus said that as you see the day approaching, the coming of the Lord, realize that there'll be many people that fall into a trap. And he said, so be sober and pray so you can escape and stand before the Son of Man. Pray as if your life depends on it, for it does. Here's my last point. The victory over evil that can only be won and maintained is through prayer. The victory over evil that can only be won and maintained is through prayer. Jesus said to the disciples, one walked on water, 12 watched Jesus walk on water, 12 watched Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed probably close to 12,000 people. They watched him raise somebody from the dead. Three of them were on the holy mountain and heard God Almighty say to them, while they saw Moses and Elijah there too, listen to Jesus. And he said to them, keep watching and praying, keep watching, keep praying, so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, your sin nature and mine, is weak. Somebody comes to mind as a life example to show how you can fall, even when you know everything, even after preaching to others, even after being so darkly sound that you can set anybody straight. You, me, don't be like Robert. What? Who's Robert? Let me tell you this story about Robert. Robert was a guy who wrote this well-known hymn of the church that has been sung for a couple hundred years now and is sung. It's probably being sung in a church, many churches somewhere in the United States this morning. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. One of the most widely known, 
most sung hymns of the church over the past two centuries, written by a man named Robert. Here are the lines. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy ever ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. A guy named Robert wrote that, but I don't want you to be like Robert. Stay with me. Here's the next verse. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. The last verse, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Don't be like Robert Robinson. He was born in England 200 years ago. When he was a boy, he was sent off to London to learn a trade in a school, and God in his sovereignty led Robert to hear the preaching of George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers who's ever walked on this earth, was a father of the Great Awakening. He was soundly converted and felt a call to the ministry. And he began to preach the gospel as a young man. At 25, he was called to pastor a Baptist church in Cambridge. That's where Oxford University is. He became very successful and extremely popular as a young minister. But the pressure of church and the popularity became too much for him to handle. And he began to lapse in his walk with God. And after lapsing slowly, he fell greatly into deep levels of carnality. And the historian that I read his story about said he fell victim to, quote, sin's foul bondage. And as the years passed, he faded from the scene. Now get this. Years later, he's making a trip by stagecoach and he's sitting next to a woman in the stagecoach, and this woman is reading a book, and she's just smiling from ear to ear, overwhelmed by reading this book, and he notices that. And as she flips the pages, she keeps coming back to this one and reads it again, and her face lights up again, and this happens over and over. Finally, she can't hardly stand it, and so she points this guy to the page, Robert, to the page, and she says, you have to read this. And he looks at the page, the first few lines, and the words say... Come, thou found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And he couldn't read any further. He turned his head, pushed the book back into the hand of the woman, and looked away. But she kept pressing, asking him what he thought about it, how amazing the words were, how inspiring they were. And finally, he bursts into tears and he says, Ma'am, I'm the poor soul who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand words to be able to enjoy the feeling that I had when I wrote that song. Be sober. The flesh is weak. Robert Robinson 
was light years away in his soul from where he was when he wrote that. When I read that, I was stunned. And I wrote something to myself that I want to read to you. Dear T. McGee, you want to be living in the blessing at the end of your life that started at the beginning when you had no life, when Jesus saved your life. Then I kept writing to myself. Imagine God using what you used to be so people can become what you used to be, but you lost what you used to be because of failing to continue to be what you used to be. Listening to God, oh, we all know that. Standing, I don't know, I don't know. Prayer. So then I wrote this, Father, I want the words of David when he was caught in his falling to be my words right now. Verse 12 of 51, give back to me the deep delight of being saved by you. Let your willing spirit sustain me. If you do, I promise to teach rebels your ways and help sinners find their way back home. Pry open my lips that my mouth will sing joyfully of your greatness. I surrender myself completely. What kind of sacrifice could I offer you but a broken spirit and a contrite heart, a heart that honestly regrets the past? Bring me back. Brothers, sisters, soldiers of faith, prayer warriors who look at men and women and tell them with all your heart, and I don't say this that you were proud in saying it, but you mean it because you're doing it now. You say, I've got you covered, brother. Pastor, I have your back. You and me, we can fall. If Peter can fall, I definitely can fall. If Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, can look at Peter, who was the first to know that Jesus was the anointed one that the prophets wrote, and he said to him, you are going to get sifted like wheat. And the only reason you'll make it out alive is because I've prayed for you. You can fall. You can fall. Quoting Bible verses. You can be falling and preaching behind a pulpit with deep sin that's conquering your soul. And God still uses you. But God is calling to us. Don't be like Robert. The Holy Spirit haunts us to come back from wandering. And he so mercifully waits to help us. He does not condemn us. The Holy Spirit's voice is never a condemning voice, but sometimes it's a warning voice. He mercifully waits to help us turn our eyes back to Jesus and come home so he can fill our house 
with renewed treasures of grace. Remember? He's a recovering Holy Spirit. Though years of the canker worm, though carnality has put the fire out, it's still there. Ask, seek, knock. That's his heart for you and me, even when our heart can grow cold, carnal, or both. Pray like your life depends on it, because it does. The Holy Spirit that came to you at first hasn't left you. He's longing to lift you back to the high places of grace. Don't be like Robert. Hey, you might say, well, I, 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 you don't know. Listen, if you, have a, if you have a kid, if you're a mom or dad, your grandma, grandpa, you have a kid who's fallen, and they come back to you, wouldn't you immediately welcome them back into your full embrace? Absolutely. How much more will God? Don't be like Robert. Be like Anne. Anne, one of, my, one of the most important writers of our time is a woman whose first name is Anne, and she writes this about prayer. He longs to speak with us as one would speak to a friend. And he longs for us to talk back to him in never-ending conversation. Anne Voskamp. Read everything she's ever written. And be like Chuck. Chuck. 80-plus years young, Charles R. Swindoll. He's a pastor's pastor. He's one of the wisest sages of the church. It's the most exciting. Here's what he said. Oh, <laughs> It's the most exciting thing to watch God work when I've asked him about something. To listen to him and watch him work. It's like a friendship. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows. Be like Chuck. I love music. I came across this site at Rolling Stone magazine that said, 100 albums in music history that you must listen to before you die. Hey, Charles Swindoll is one of those preachers and pastors of the church that you have to listen to before you die. Pray as if your life depends on it, Tim McGregor, because it does. And so let's pray right now. With your heart wide open, not thinking about yesterday, victories or defeats, condemnation or conviction all around you, accusations maybe seeking to steal this moment from you, I ask you, I ask you not to listen to that and just open your heart to the God that loves you. And let's pray this prayer. Lord, thank you that your son carried my toxic life to the cross. And although I was stamped with the image of you, I came as a wanderer, lost and without hope. Even though I had an image of you, I had a rebel in my heart. But your son, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you, you loved me, you loved us even when we didn't know it and definitely didn't love you back. And while we were like that, 
you carried us. You carried us before we were even born to the place where our dead lives would be executed on a cross. Disabled. The devil disarmed forever. To those who would come under the blood of Jesus. And in your death, for our death, you disarmed the accuser's power of speech. The law that Satan uses to condemn us. The law that we broke that cursed us. Was fulfilled in you. And your sinless sacrifice for us is effective for all time, once and for all. And you opened the gates of heaven so that the most wretched, the most wicked, the most wandering, from the least to the greatest, from kings to the poorest of the poor, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus could be made alive, quickened, set free from sin, and selfish destruction. You did this, Lord, so that we could be led by the wonderful Spirit of God who will never leave us into the pathway that leads our feet back to Eden, back to the Father of our spirits so we can live. I pray that we'd lay down all the yokes of church culture, labels about how we have to pray, what we might have to work up in order to impress you, that we'd be set free from that and come into the purity and simplicity that Jesus says, hey, it's not by your many words. It's not by your posture. He knows your need before you ask. It's your Father. Ask, seek, and knock. So Lord, with all my friends that are praying this prayer right now, Lord Jesus, here we come. Here we come. Winners and losers. Sober and drunkenness. Intoxicated, swayed, and those on fire. Here we come. Just like your spirit says, come. Just like the bride is supposed to say, come. And whoever hears, say come. So we ask you as we come, Father, in the name of Jesus, receive us, renew us, revive us, restore us. Renew our spirit with your Holy Spirit so that we can be liberated in this life-giving privilege of prayer. I ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As our worship team leads us now, would you just swing wide the gate of your heart and let him create a genesis a fresh beginning and quicken that fan the flame that we would just spend our time in the presence of our passionate Father